0: Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, Chicx are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or out of blanket, so you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And Chicx bedding looks as good as it feels, colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try Chicx for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.
1: This is the World According to Zig podcast for April 20th, 2019. My name is John Ziegler. This is the show where you can still get the truth about the news of the day from a conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com and this week obviously the biggest news story was the finally the revelation of the Mueller report in the into the investigation of Russian meddling into the 2016 election campaign. And I have done an exceedingly detailed and extra long hour reviewing all of the Mueller Report revelations in my other podcast, which is the Individual One podcast, which you can find by going to freespeechbroadcasting.com. There's a link to it directly there, or you can find it at my Twitter feed, which is Zygmunt Freud. Uh, at Twitter. I'll also post it at Facebook. So uh, if you are interested in the Trump-related news and specifically the review, the extensive review of the Mueller report, make sure you check out the Individual One uh, podcast. Also, uh, the last several weeks of the World According to Zig podcast have been focused on the aftermath to the bogus so-called documentary Leaving Neverland, which accuses Michael Jackson of being a serial child molester and focuses on two guys who I do not believe are remotely credible in making their accusations against Michael Jackson. I have I've done I would say about 80% of the content of the World According to Zig podcast over the last month or so has been related to leaving Neverland. That's not going to be the case today. However, before the Michael Jackson fans who have been exceedingly interested and very loyal on this subject, and I appreciate their interest uh, greatly, before they leave the podcast, because I know you will shortly, Michael Jackson fans, uh, I want to give you a heads up, and that is that on Monday, I am scheduled to do an interview with Tom Mazzaro in person. Tom Mazzaro was Michael Jackson's criminal defense attorney. He uh, is here in Los Angeles. And he and I, have, I don't know if we I call each other friends, but we're certainly friendly. We're probably more than acquaintances. We've met several times. Uh, I've interviewed him on a number of occasions. And he is now finally done with the trial that he was engaged in in Texas when Leaving Neverland came out. So he has not really been seen very much. He's not done since Leaving Neverland came out. He's not done an extensive uh, in-person interview and i wanted to do that with him we had hoped to try to do that today but he's now traveling again and is out of town and would not have been available today so i, I figured okay when he gets back in town i'll meet with him in person i will definitely do audio we might do a video interview i'm not 100 percent sure how i'm going to disseminate that it'll be sometime next week i'm sure next week's world according to zig podcast which will be on saturday not on sunday we're doing it a day early this week because of easter and we're doing it a day early next week because of logistical considerations from a production standpoint so if you don't see or hear the tom mesero interview before next saturday it'll certainly be part of next week's world according to zig podcast so michael jackson fans i hope you're uh, excited about that and you can now if you so choose uh, leave the podcast <laughs> because my sense is that many of you will do that but that and that's just fine um now the big story for me this week other than the Mueller report uh, was something that occurred literally while we were taping last week's edition of the World According to Zig podcast. And that is that uh, Tiger Woods, somehow, some way, ended up, against all odds and against my own predictions, winning the 2019 Masters. Uh, in case you missed it, uh, we were broadcasting or taping our two podcasts, this podcast and individual one, while the final round was going on. Although that was not as scheduled because of the forecasting of thunderstorms, they moved up the tee times of the Masters Golf Tournament uh, rather significantly, which, of course, in my life, this is the kind of stuff that happens. Anything that can possibly go wrong uh, will go wrong. Uh, I have very bad luck in a lot of ways. And, uh, and so this is something that I have been interested in for a very, very long time. I knew that there was a chance this was going to be one of the most memorable moments in the history of sports, not just golf. And so I was very distracted, as you might imagine, last week while we were taping those podcasts. Now, we were able to do it early enough in the morning – to where uh, I did get home There was not a, a traffic jam There was, not, I did not get caught in, in, in an accident Thank goodness I was able to get home to watch most No, I wouldn't say most I, would, I was able to get home to watch the last third Of the final round And uh, For whatever reason This seems to happen in life, at least to me I don't know if it happens to you But the most anticipated Moments in life and the things that really Ought to be the most awesome almost never end up being that way because something will always happen to screw it up. That, I mean, at least in my experience, that's always what occurs. And and the and the bigger the event, the more likely that's going to be to happen. Big events almost never leave uh, live up to the hype or expectations. And I had mentioned that um, when Tiger got into contention last weekend that I when my wife asked me about whether or not I was going to be rooting for him because I have this incredibly long roller coaster 25 year history uh, with the Tiger Woods story going from being his biggest fan predicting before almost anybody else that he'd be the greatest golfer of his generation of not all time uh, then of course after the scandal hit uh, becoming one of his harshest critics, heckling him at the 2010 U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, and in something that got uh, quite a bit of publicity, but thankfully didn't have my name attached to it, and then having this kind of period of reconciliation or uh, uh, allowing him to, uh, you know, uh, pe- to effectively burn off his the the guilt involved in this and deserve a second chance. Not that. I matter, but I think I'm, I'm uh, consistent with a lot of golf fans where, okay, Tiger needed to suffer a bit before we were going to uh, start rooting for him again. And my wife had said, so if Tiger wins, are you going to be happy? And I actually started to get choked up, much to my surprise, and even more to her surprise, over just the thought of him somehow winning because of this incredibly long journey that he was on. He was left for dead. I left him for dead, uh, both from a physical and mental standpoint. What he had uh, suffered through, again, a lot of it self-inflicted, was so dramatic, so overwhelming. I mean, my gosh, it was less than two years ago when he got arrested for that DUI and there was that horrendous mugshot where, I mean, Tiger looked like a homeless person in that mugshot. That was less than two years ago. Uh, Two years ago, he couldn't even walk. Uh, he, he told people at the Masters Champions Dinner two years ago that he was done. And this was already after having I- endured all that humiliation because of his marriage falling apart and uh, all of the, um, you know, all that came with that. Uh, you know, he lost his dignity. He lost a lot of his fortune. His family got dramatically disrupted. Then he lost his game. And then he lost his physical health. I mean he lost he had everything. Here's a guy who I mean this is a Greek tragedy. He had everything. He was a superhero. Then he lost almost all of it. and then somehow uh, he was able to persevere and against all odds come back and and be contended again. And I was a cynic right to the very last moment almost where even during last week's podcast, I thought, you know what? he might do this, but something bad's gonna happen. Uh, he doesn't drive it straight enough. He doesn't make all the short putts like he used to. And these guys he's playing against are so good. I mean, he was playing against some of the best players in the world. The leaderboard was packed. And um, and so when I got home, inevitably, this always occurs, and, and maybe I was at least partially def- at fault, I don't know, but – the kids started uh, getting all rambunctious. My wife and I got into a fight over something stupid. I just wanted to be left alone and watch the damn golf tournament. Uh, and, uh, and you know, my daughters are it, – there's it an interesting phenomenon with, with Grace, uh, you know, my almost uh, seven-year-old. Is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? The more she senses that I'm focused on watching something on television, the more she wants my attention. Normally she doesn't give a shit about my attention. (laughs) She doesn't care at all about what I'm doing at all, except if she senses that I'm really focused on something and don't want to be bothered. And my two-year-old Diana seemingly has the same uh, predilections because they were causing all sorts of commotion. And, you know, the, the, so when the when Tiger finally wins, this climactic moment that I've been, uh, you know, thinking about how awesome this would be for quite a long time if he ever pulled this off, while it was amazing, I mean, it's, it, and, and the reaction that Tiger had and the crowd had and, and CBS had and, and other players had, I mean, the whole thing was, was off the charts. I mean, if you put it into a movie, no one would believe it uh it, it was uh, incredibly dramatic uh it was cathartic but i didn't i didn't get a chance to experience that because i was in the midst of family chaos and i was pissed off and there there were no tears there was no getting choked up i was happy to see it and i was really happy to see him so happy and his family so happy and i do think that he deserves it i mean he suffered enough uh is he is he uh as I once made a website, Tiger Woods is God, which was always at least somewhat facetious and satirical. No, he's not a god. But he's far more interesting as a normal human being now, and a much better human being, than he ever was as a god. And and to win 14 major championships as a god, and then win the Masters at the age of 43 as a, as a human being, uh, is a hell of a story arc. And... I, and he deserves an enormous amount of credit. Uh, however, I will say that, <laughs> and, and I'm not trying to justify my cynicism towards and skepticism w- w- whether he could ever win again, but his opponents really did fold under the pressure. Uh, there, there used to be this thing called the Tiger effect where uh, everyone around him would melt under the pressure and Tiger would not, and he would end up winning well, that's effectively what happened here. And what's interesting is there was always this perception that this younger generation of players wouldn't fold because they don't remember Tiger as a god. They just remember him as a guy at some points couldn't even walk. And his level of play in, in their uh, time period has, has been nowhere near what it was. So they've, they've seen him as very flawed and very human and very vulnerable. And so there was always this perception that, you know, when push came to shove, would this younger generation collapse like everybody else? Well, they did in, in very dramatic fashion. Uh, I had – I'm really you – know, I'm, I'm clearly not that great about predicting uh, whether or not uh, Tiger uh, could win the Masters in 2019 because I said he had about a 2% chance at the beginning of the week, even though I did believe and predict that he would contend and probably finish in the top 10. I just didn't think he could pull it all the way off and win. Um I am very good at predicting what the final score is going to be based upon the conditions. And going into that final round, I thought you had to at least get the 14 under par under fairly benign conditions. And Tiger ended up winning at 13 under par, which is one worse than what I thought was the minimum required. And and that didn't, you know, I thought 13 would be at best a playoff. We well, ended up winning by one shot because nobody made a run at him. And several key players collapsed Specifically on the 12th hole, hitting hitting the ball into the water, not even close. And it's, it's amazing to me and other, other people who follow this carefully how often this happens at the Masters where this little 12th hole, which is the shortest hole in the course by far, uh, ends up uh, causing people to, to hit at the pin, which is stupid, and go in the water uh, because the, the it's an oddly shaped green and you have to hit the ball a little bit farther than it looks like you need to on the on the line where the pin is on sundays and four of his key competitors went in the water and tiger did not and then uh you know molinari who was the guy leading the tournament before the final round he goes in the water not once but twice in the back nine from very short range so while tiger deserves a ridiculous amount of credit for for persevering and winning this was not the old Tiger. This was a, a much more vulnerable, much more human Tiger Woods. Interestingly, and this is so typical of my life, I came close to causing a minor—I don't want to overemphasize this—a minor controversy involving uh, how Tiger ended up winning. Because I believe, and I got an a ESPN's golf writer interested in this, but I didn't expect he would have the balls to to write about it. Because it's hard to prove, and it's Tiger, and no one wants to rain on this parade. No one wants to pour cold water on this. But I believe that there's a pretty decent chance that Tiger effectively cheated in the final round on the 12th hole. Now, I don't want to get too deeply into this, because you've got to be a golf fan to really appreciate it. But when I watched, because I, I told you I only watched the last third, I missed the 12th hole. I came in just after the 12th hole, which was really the key moment of the whole tournament. And so when I watched Tiger's press conference afterwards, I noticed him saying something very, very odd. And that is that he said that he decided to, to change his strategy on the 12th hole because he knew that Brooks Kepka had gone short in the water, and he was sure that Brooks Koepka had hit a nine iron, and that Brooks hits the ball farther than he does because he's stronger than he is, and that he therefore knew that if he was going to hit a nine iron, he needed to aim way to the left. Otherwise, he was going to end up in the water like Brooks Koepka. Now, when I watched that, I'm like, wow, that's really impressive. Because if you've ever been to Augusta, and I, I was once, you don't even have to have gone there if you've watched it on television carefully, you know that you can see very clearly the 12th tee and the 12th green from the 11th green. So my perception was that Tiger Head, while he was getting ready to putt on the 11th green, he had looked over to the 12th tee, seen Brooks Koepka, seen the, tra- the trajectory of the shot, saw that it ended up way short, and then based upon that, determined that Kapka must have hit a nine iron, and that he needs to hit his nine iron to a place where it doesn't have to carry as far. That was my perception. I thought, wow, that's really impressive. That's a smart guy. That's really using your noodle there, Tiger. And then I went back and I rewatched the whole thing. And I because I wanted to see Kepka going in the water. So I see Kepka goes in the water and I noticed something right off the bat that was very interesting. CBS both graphically on the screen as well as the announcers, both identified Kepka as hitting a nine iron. Now that's not highly unusual, but it's somewhat unusual that CBS actually put on the screen he's hitting a nine iron. That was the first thing that made me go, hmm. Okay, so so Tiger knew that Kepka hit a nine iron. Where's Tiger? Because I'm not seeing him on the uh, anywhere near the 11th green. So I start to rewind. Uh, from when Kepka goes into the water, and I go back seven minutes before we see where Tiger is. So, and I—I I should. So I misspoke. I should. I shouldn't say. I was rewinding. I was going forward. So, seven minutes after after Kepka goes in the water, they finally show Tiger. And where's Tiger? Tiger is in the trees back in the fairway on the 11th hole, which means he's nowhere near the 12th tee. And there's a photo, which I took and I posted online, of Tiger in the trees waiting to hit his shot. This is, again, this is seven minutes after Kepka has gone in the water. You cannot see the 12th tee at all. There's trees blocking his way. There's thousands of people in the gallery blocking his way. He's at least uh, 150 yards from the 12th tee. So there's no possible way, zero, that Tiger Woods had witnessed Brooks Koepka going to the water. So how did he know when he gets to the 12th tee that Brooks Koepka had hit a nine iron and had come up short? Now, it is possible, I want to emphasize this, it is possible that Tiger was just telling a bullshit story at the press conference to make him sound really smart. Tiger's been known to do this. Uh, you know, he's, he's embellishing a story because it's a good story. Boy, I'm, I'm really smart. I knew, I figured this all out. Or there's another scenario that's far more, well, it's not far more nefarious, it's more nefarious and more likely. And here's what really happened. They get on the 12th T. Tiger Woods caddy says to the CBS spotter, hey, what did Brooks hit? Or maybe even more possible, the CBS spotter being very eager to please tells Tiger Woods caddy, hey, Brooks hit 9-iron. Because uh, I think they can figure out that Brooks went in the water because they know his score, he made double bogey in the hole, and it's possible that by the time they got down to the 11th green, they can see that Brooks is, has uh, dropped in front of the water. Now, that doesn't tell you anything about the nature of the shot. He could have hit it fat. He could have hit it way to the right, and, and it could have been pin high and rolled down into the water. There's all sorts of possibilities here, none of which is a good enough information for Tiger Woods to be dictating his strategy on a key shot. Based upon a whim, that's not going to happen. For that to happen, he's got to have good information. So anyway, I've gone into this in greater depth than I intended to. But I think there's a decent chance, whether it's 50% or somewhere in that range, that Tiger Woods got uh, uh, information from the CBS spotter through his caddy that provided him a significant advantage. Now, is that cheating? Um, That's a close call. It depends on, on uh, the circumstances of how that information was disseminated. I'm not suggesting that this makes the, uh, Tiger Woods' victory illegitimate. I'm not suggesting that he should have been penalized. But I did alert uh, ESPN's golf writer, with whom I commun- communicate on a somewhat regular basis, about this, and he agreed with me and said he would investigate it. But he clearly decided not to write about it, uh, again, because let's cl- be clear. The narrative has been said. Uh, the narrative is what everyone wants. No one wants uh, anything. <laughs> no one wants to poop in this punch bowl uh, for all intents and purposes because this is the greatest story ever. And you know when I when I alerted the ESPN uh, golf writer about this, I started my email by saying, "Hey, congratulations on your job security," <laughs> because because let's be clear, Tiger Woods winning this Masters changes. The golf media for at least another five to ten years, in a huge way, because the golf media was in big trouble. If Tiger was gone, I mean, these guys were all going to lose their jobs. They have got the cushiest jobs in the world, which is why golf journalism is dead, because no one wants to lose their gig. And uh, and let's face it, you know, when when the industry is losing jobs, it's very difficult to get another one. If you if you do something to get you fired, and saying something negative about Tiger, can, especially now, can get you fired. So um, so the, the Tiger win has enormous impact. It has an impact on, on so many different levels. And, and for those who are wondering, Zig, why do you care? The Tiger thing has never been only about watching the best golfer of all time do his thing. I mean, there's pleasure in that. There, there is something of value in just seeing that kind of genius. But to me, it's always been larger than that. To me, the Tiger Woods story has been kind of a test case for the potential of humanity. And I'm someone who is a cynic. I'm a skeptic. I don't like human beings. uh, I'm embarrassed by our species at times. And Tiger had always given me some hope that our species was redeemable because if we're capable of that kind of, of amazing achievement, then maybe we don't all suck. Well, in a weird way, Tiger's comeback has done the same thing because if he's able to come back from that kind of devastation, then it should give hope to everybody who's ever faced significant uh, adversity. And I respect overcoming adversity more than I respect almost any other human quality. And it's particularly impressive when you've, when you've done it after having lived the life that Tiger did. I mean, my gosh, he he hardly ever had any adversity in his life and you know he's lived a a charmed life and obviously has everything in the world he literally had everything in the world you could possibly imagine and then a lot of it was gone and he didn't give up and he somehow managed against all odds uh to win this thing and so there's there's that aspect that i find to be incredibly compelling and interesting but there's also what he does to the future you know (laughs) a large part of my personal investment in tiger woods it came came in the fact that he emerged as an amateur just after my mother was killed in a car accident and where i was exceedingly depressed because of what happened there this was in 1994 and having tiger to look forward to was something that i really cherished cuz you know it was you need things to give you hope Give you something to look forward to, things that you enjoy, and when you're very depressed, it's very difficult to get pleasure out of anything. But I got pleasure out of watching Tiger Woods play golf. Well, when the scandal happened, that all incinerated, and that's why my wife taught uh, Grace, my daughter, uh, that, um, that effectively Tiger Woods, when she asked who Tiger Woods was, is the guy who broke Daddy's heart. That was true, because. Now I lost that part of my life I lost that you know looking forward to that both one because I wasn't rooting for him anymore and two because his his game went to shit and this lifelong quest for him to to meet or exceed this unbreakable record of Jack Nicholas's 18 major golf championships was something that I marked time by I mean I can mark my life, where I lived, what my situation was in life, based upon every single one of Tiger Woods's now fifteen major championships, and I was going through this. I should have done all the numbers, but since Tiger Woods started winning majors, I've lived like in five different places. I've had, I've been in like serious, almost marriage relationships with about five different women. Um, I have been in about six or seven different careers, about 10 different jobs uh, uh, over a 25 year period. I mean, so you're marking your life by this quest of Tiger, can he meet or break Jack Nicholas's record? Well, once all that stops, it's like a portion of your life just incinerated, as I said, just. Just almost, not only did it stop, but it it almost ceased to exist. You almost erased it from history. Now I didn't quite uh, erase it from history because I still had, you know, these large autographed photos of Tiger Woods in my in my office, which is why my daughter was interested in this. Right, who is this guy? Who's Tiger Woods? Well, he's the guy who broke Daddy's heart. And while you know my my heart hasn't been completely renewed, um, there's now hope for the future again. Because the most amazing part of this, from a, from a golf standpoint, and, and golf is in big trouble, is that now, because Tiger is 43, th- this storyline goes from being completely dead to being rejuvenated now for at least another decade. Because at 10 years from now, he's going to be 53, and he still won't be as long as it, it took between... His last major championship he went 11 years from winning in 2008 of the U.S. Open to 2019 at the Masters well the media can feed on this as long as he stays remotely healthy for another 10 years because they can always say well he's gone through a longer drought than this so this Tiger Woods story ain't ending again barring health issues for at least another 10 12 years so the, it's so now. Now all of a sudden, we got this this amazing thing that we can still be looking forward to. The the Nicholas record is back theoretically in play. I I don't I don't think he's going to break it, but now at least it's possible. And I don't think he's done. Uh, and it's clear that um, that the guys around him are are capable of folding in his presence and it's not because they're intimidated by him i think i really think that they they got nervous cuz they realized holy shit the whole world's watching now cuz they i mean as soon as, as soon as tiger is is capable of doing this thing they they inherently know this is a different deal this isn't the Buick open this is this is this is the world's watching me because tiger is bringing that many eyeballs to the television and this is history we're talking about here and as far as the future is concerned, I don't you know I don't want to get all excited and and over uh, and overly optimistic because that's certainly not something that I'm prone to doing. but I mean my gosh, looking at his son, Charlie, and that's really why Tiger did this was to give his son Charlie a memory of him as Tiger Woods as opposed to just this guy who is you know didn't know his dad as being anything really that special except he had a lot of money. Uh, you know, watching Charlie experience that moment. That moment's going to have an impact on Charlie for his life, uh, having experienced that. Now, who, you know, Charlie, I know, plays golf. He looks like an athlete. He's got incredible genes. Uh, you know, we may, be, we may have a whole new generation of a, of a Tiger Woods, uh, you know, that'll extend this way beyond 10 years, depending on what Charlie does, because that is an incredibly rare situation for a son to experience that kind of moment. That is going to leave a mark. Uh, in a positive direction, so who knows what Charlie is going to end up uh, doing with all this and, and there, so there's all sorts of hope for the future. By the way, I, I do want to mention one thing that no one else mentions with regard to uh, Tiger and his family and the the incredible reaction to winning the masters. Nobody that I saw gave any credit to Tiger's wife, Elen, who he divorced. Tiger's wife, Elan, the Swedish model. Uh, who ends up divorcing him after the scandal wow she deserves enormous credit because you're she's in charge of the kids right and she allows the kids on incredibly short notice to fly up to augusta with tiger's new girlfriend who by the way isn't all that impressive but you know they seem to really like each other so good for him um and it's obvious that the girlfriend and his daughter are they're almost like best pals, all of that cannot happen unless Elon approves of it and considering what Elon was put through by Tiger, she deserves a lot of credit for allowing that to happen because a lesser a lesser woman who went through she went through because of what Tiger Woods did would not have done that so kudos to Elan Nordigan for allowing that moment to have occurred. And so um, so I know I talked way longer than you probably need to hear about uh, Tiger Woods winning, but that's probably a lot of stuff that you won't hear anywhere else because I've devoted an enormous amount of my life to the Tiger Woods story. I actually wrote a column about part of this, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com because Donald Trump announced after Tiger won the Masters that he's going to present him with the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which... Come on, people. I mean, really? It's just flat out ridiculous. I mean, I, you know, I love me some Tiger. I'm thrilled with the whole thing. But he's only 43 years old. And he's been prone to mistakes in the past. This should not be happening. And it should not be happening from Donald Trump, who has an inherent conflict of interest when it comes to Tiger, because Donald Trump's holdings are primarily in the golf business. Well, Tiger Woods is by far the biggest name in the golf business and will be for the rest of Donald Trump's life. So for him to give him the Presidential Medal of Freedom at 43 should not be happening from that president. It's not a huge deal considering all the other scandals that Trump is involved in, but it's inappropriate. And in a rational world, you know, Tiger would decline and say, you know what, maybe I'll get this later. But I doubt that'll happen. Um, Not that he doesn't deserve it, Barack Obama clearly opened that door when he gave it out to all sorts of undeserving Hollywood people. So I guess if you're going to give it to Ellen DeGeneres, you might as well give it to Tiger Woods. But there's a reason why most Presidential Medal of Freedom winners, including all the other golfers, Jack Nicholas, Tiger—I mean Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer, and Charlie Sifford—are the three golfers that have won the Presidential Medal of Freedom before. There's a reason why you give it to them when they're in their 60s, 70s, or 80s, because they don't have enough energy to screw up. <laughs> they have no testosterone left so it's it's highly unusual that they're going to be caught in a major scandal you you may recall joe paterno uh, from from uh, penn state the legendary football coach there he was supposed to get the presidential medal of freedom and then they effectively revoked it when he got unfairly embroiled in the whole jerry sandusky scandal which if you know anything about me you know i have proven is a big fat fraud but Paterno was 84 years old when that was going to happen. You don't give the Presidential Medal of Freedom to a 43-year-old unless they've cured cancer. Now, speaking of uh, president- Presidential Medal of Freedom winners, I, I do want to mention, because it did get some publicity two days ago, and I don't know how much people have heard about this nationwide, but the, by far the, the most PC piece of bullshit from this week, if not this month, maybe this year has occurred involving another Presidential Medal of Freedom winner. And that is a a woman by the name of Kate Smith, who's been dead for many years. I don't remember when exactly she died, but it's been decades now. Uh, She was given the Presidential Medal of Freedom by Ronald Reagan in the 80s. And Kate Smith was actually a a fairly significant part of my childhood because Kate Smith, while she, she was a singer who was famous in the 30s and the 40s, she made a comeback in the 70s because the Philadelphia Flyers hockey team brought her in to sing God Bless America before several of their key games back when the Flyers were winning Stanley Cups in 1974 and 1975. And this was when I was growing up in Philadelphia, and, you know, everybody was in love with the whole Flyers thing because this was highly unusual for Philadelphia where we didn't win anything and so it was this she she kind of became the mascot for the team and there became this myth I don't know, you know and there was some someone actually did a statistical analysis as to whether or not it was true or not but it became part of Flyers lore that in really big games they would bring her in this you know fat little lady she wasn't that little. She was pretty big. But, but this old lady, they'd bring this old lady in, Kate Smith, out of mothballs when they really needed a victory to sing God Bless America. And there was some, there was some backing to the idea that, whether it was coincidence or whatever, that the Flyers would win more often when they would bring her in to, to sing God Bless America. And so much so that there's actually a statue of Kate Smith outside of the Flyers arena. All right? just like there was a statue of Joe Paterno before the Sandusky uh, uh, fiasco at Penn State. Well, out of the blue, all of a sudden, and I have no idea how the hell this happened, the Flyers, as well as the New York Yankees, because apparently the New York Yankees have been using her version of God Bless America in the seventh inning stretch, both teams out of the blue, suddenly. Totally cut ties with Kate Smith this, this week. And the Flyers currently have draped the Kate Smith statue in in some sort of a burqa, just like they did with the Joe Paterno statue before they removed it. It's just so absurd. And, and and you're probably wondering, well, why? What happened? I mean she's been dead for many years. What could she have possibly have done to be warrant being erased? Well, Apparently, and I, again, I don't know how this happened. I, I doubt this was new information. But somehow it came to the attention of the Flyers and the Yankees that in 1939, Kate Smith had recorded a song uh, that had the word darkies in the title that was about black people. And that somehow um, this was a racist song and that because she recorded this, this means that she is to be erased from human history. Now, that would be ridiculous on its face, considering the fact that this is 80 years ago. 80 years ago. Completely different time and place. And she's been dead for a long period of time. You would think that being dead for an extended period of time pretty much ends you know you're not allowed to revisit this it kind of goes with the Michael Jackson story you know he's been dead for 10 years you're not allowed to make allegations that he sexually abused you 20 30 years ago anymore you're not allowed sorry because if you if you allow that chaos ensues well um, it gets worse than this because my understanding having researched it a little bit is that the song was actually a satire that was written by two black guys. So it wasn't even supposed to be taken seriously. So two black guys write a song in 1939. Kate Smith apparently sings it or records it in some way. Eighty years later, 80 years later, as a Presidential Medal of Freedom winner, an icon within Flyers lore, someone who is still to this day... Uh, used at Yankees baseball games, gets erased. And the most, the strangest part of this is, the Flyers actually said, "While we're investigating the allegations of racism against her, what, what do you mean? What, while you're investigating, this doesn't take very long. This is, this is. This, there's, there's no controversy here. What are you going to learn? You're going to interview her from the grave?" well you see what her mindset was and so this, this to me this sounds like a, a trivial thing it's not because this this stuff is happening quite a bit and it's going to continue to happen and this erasing of people from history And again, as a kid who grew up in the '70s in the Philadelphia area, Kate Smith was a big part of my history. That was, you know, that you you got chills when they brought out Kate Smith to sing "God Bless America." And now, you you know, they're going to. My guess is they'll probably take the statue away unless there's a massive backlash. And and what's really odd about this is, why are the flyers even? buckling under there's not there's not like there was any protests or or there was going to be uh you know some you know some boycott of the flyers if they continue to have the kate smith statue outside of the arena i would i would venture to guess that there are probably less than a dozen season ticket holders for the flyers who are black i mean I, that's, that's a pretty fair guess um they you know they're all um, the fans are all white uh and uh, and so, therefore, I don't know what the public pressure—there was no public pressure. It wasn't like it was a media story that got an enormous amount of uh, of attention and they had to buckle. They just buckled because it's like a knee-jerk reaction now. Everyone's so damn PC. Everyone's so afraid. And And as someone who grew up with the Flyers, what's even more aggravating is— you know, this new owner, I don't even remember when the, the current owners of the Flyers took over, but the, the the owner of the Flyers, Ed Snyder, back in the day, in the 70s, was a hardcore conservative. I mean, he's rolling in his grave right now. The idea that uh, Kate Smith is being erased because uh, of a 1930s song, 39 song, that was a satire written by two black guys. Give me a frickin' break. It's just flat out ridiculous. It's the whole thing. It, it's absurd and it's sad and it's going to keep happening. When does it stop? Because uh, uh, I, because you know, no one ever wants to stand up. No one ever wants to be. Oh, you know, you're not allowed to stand because there's no incentive. There's no. What's the incentive for standing up for a dead person? None. Zero. So everyone in the media just goes, "Oh, okay, we have we're erasing Kate Smith. All right, interesting. Move along. I mean." <laughs> Seriously, people? I thought that part of the one benefit of uh, having Trump be president was going to be that this kind of PC bullshit was going to be curtailed. But it's actually gotten worse. I I think it's gotten worse because liberals are so agitated by Trump, maybe subconsciously, that when anything they have control over, they're going to be super PC and super woke because he's not. And, of course, he doesn't fight any battles that doesn't help him individually. All he cares about is himself. And uh so it's not like he's gonna suddenly step in and go, wait a minute, what the hell is this about Kate Smith? Uh yeah. although stranger things have happened. Um uh let me see well, you know what I, there were a couple of things I wanted to mention, but um i'm i'm we're out of time for this hour of the world according to zig podcast uh I do hope that you have a a, a great Easter uh from a, the Ziegler family perspective. Easter will be interesting this year because uh I have mentioned previously that I have a i have very few goals in life you know my in my mind, my life is pretty much already over. I'm just waiting for it to officially end. Uh, I refer to myself as a dead man talking uh, quite a bit. And so that's why I'm able to offer analysis of events that no one else is because I just don't give a shit. Um, but there are a few things I still care about. And, and for someone who um, you know always thought that Santa Claus was a bad thing for kids, it's incredibly odd but typical of my life that one of my goals is that this Christmas, we get one Christmas where Grace, who will be seven years old – And my younger daughter Diana, who will be two and a half once Christmas comes around, that we get one solid Christmas where Grace is totally still believing in Santa Claus and Diana is finally understanding what santa claus is now i'm sure that it'll get screwed up much like when tiger won the masters i'm sure that something horrible will happen and there will be no enjoyment of it but i'd like there to be at least one year where we get both of them on the same page before grace starts to for sure figure this out now she's been asking questions about santa and about the tooth fairy and about the easter bunny which is why i mentioned this in the context of easter And I've been very concerned about security breaches, uh, especially this year, since this is the you know the the year that we have the most the greatest chance of actually pulling this off. So just to give you an indication of how seriously we take this, and the fact that Grace, who's very inquisitive, and uh, does a lot of uh, invest, you know, she likes to think of herself as a detective and, and she asks a lot of really good questions. So she's, she's not dumb, but she does live in a fantasy world. So she's, she's kind of like the classic example of she really, really, really wants to believe, but she also um, is, is a, is a curious person who questions. And so just to give you an indication of how seriously we take this, we were going to go to an Easter egg uh, lunch and an Easter egg hunt at our country club today. My wife is going to be hosting her family for Easter tomorrow, which is partially why we're doing the podcast today on Saturday. But we decided not to go to the Easter egg hunt today because my wife and I have determined that it's too much of a potential security breach. Because if Grace sees the Easter bunny and realizes what a sham the Easter bunny is. It's just, you know, this person in a bunny costume that this might be too much of a security breach with regard to Santa for us to overcome. So we think we can get away with her finding some eggs in the morning, which she's very excited about. Uh, but we thought, you know what? It's best that we keep her away from the Easter bunny. Because once you decide the Easter Bunny is fake, then deciding Santa is fake is incredibly easy. I have actually, my wife is not appreciative of this. She thinks this is a bad idea. I have actually tried to create a firewall. (laughs) It's incredible how much time and effort and thought is put into this. I have tried to create a firewall between the Tooth Fairy, Easter Bunny, uh, you know, who else, Uh, and, and Santa Claus. I have told Grace, look, I've never seen the Easter Bunny. I've never seen the Tooth Fairy. Maybe they exist. They don't. But I've seen Santa. I've seen Santa. So, you know, I, I, I'm trying my best to get her to, to look at Santa in a completely different way than the Easter Bunny. Um, but then again, you know, maybe we're, we're overthinking this or being too concerned because uh, Grace basically created her own uh, St. Patrick's Day situation. She created her own holiday, basically anything to get free candy. Where uh, she she pretended that the leprechaun had kind of come and and left her a bunch of uh, of gold chocolates, and she bought into it a thousand percent. Now whether or not she was acting or not, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but. Um, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic that we're going to be able to get through this last security breach, which is Easter, before uh, we get into the Christmas season later this year. But regardless, hope you have a great Easter. Uh, Please make sure that you uh, share this uh, podcast uh, via social media. Please um, do so via Twitter, Facebook, word of mouth, what have you. And also, uh, do yourself a favor, when you uh, sleep... And if you sleep and you you use sheets, please do yourself a favor and pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com.
0: Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance Bedding by Sheiks. (laughs) Performance Bedding? (laughs) Yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mmm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should, oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheeks for 30 nights risk-free.